So today, I'm going to go little Wednesday Adams on you. I want you to imagine your deathbed. I know. That's a little scary. It's a little weird. Oh, man, I really showed up the wrong day at church. But just give me a moment here. There is something profound and important about thinking about what the end of our life is going to look like. There's something in that reflection that is so important. It's, it's kind of like coming to the final chapter of a book where everything suddenly makes sense as you look back on the story. It's you realize what was really important. What we realize what really matters about life. So when you look back, you see what, oh, oh that mattered. That really mattered. And that, that didn't matter at all. That was big. It didn't feel big at the time, but that was big. And that that felt big in the moment, that's a minor blip that I don't even remember now that much. And that is exactly, that's exactly where we are in the life of David. We've been walking through his story, hitting some of the highlights, and we've seen a young man's unwavering faith in a God who would choose a nobody to be king one day. We see this in, as we read about David, we see his undivided heart towards God. We see these moments where he is leaping and he is worshiping before the Lord, unable to really even contain himself, unable to hold back from this God that he loved so much. We see this all, and it makes sense that David, more than anyone, is known as a man after God's own heart. But it's not all that we see, is it? We see in David not simply this reckless love, this reckless courage after God, but also a reckless love, a reckless lust for women. We see in David not simply a unwavering faith and trust in his God, but also unwavering neglect and abandonment of his children. We see in David not simply that joyous worship, doing anything to express what he felt inside for God. But we also see David scheming and murdering, doing whatever he could to keep his secret safe. When David's life is viewed not simply in part, but in whole, we see all of this we see that his life indeed is like the words of Leonard Cohen's song, Broken, Hallelujah. That although David is a man of strength, he's also a man of weakness. That although he is faithful, he is also one who betrays, one who murders. That although he is a man after God's own heart, he also turns away from God 
he is both. He is a man of contradictions. We've called him a complicated man. But the thing is, as we look at the pages of David's life in Scripture, we find that his life is not alien to our own. We find something that may feel a little too familiar. Because we, too, are both. Though we have never achieved maybe the victories of David, I don't know if any of you have led a conquering army, maybe you have, but I think the majority of us haven't. Um, you probably also haven't murdered, I don't want to make too many assumptions, but you know, David has had some incredible highs and some incredible lows. And we may not find those extremes, but we have found maybe some contradictions in our own lives. And we have had our failures. And today I want us to see that God is in the midst of those contradictions. I want us to actually see what matters and who is the real hero in this story. So what does a man like David, who went from being this amazing young man, this faithful young man, to a man who committed assault, murder, and fraud, what does that guy say on his deathbed? If you've ever been around someone who is close to death, their conversation shifts, their perception shifts, and suddenly they start to take stock of their life, and they start to say some things that are often very profound, very wise, because things start to stack up. They see what in their life had weight and what didn't. And we've got David's last words here for us, and we find them in 2 Samuel, chapter 23. And I want to read us a portion of that today. You can dig into it this week a little bit later. I'm actually going to go old school today, and I'm going to read from the King James. It might seem a little scary, but I, I feel like it captures the essence of what we're going to dig into today. So let me read this for us. This is David speaking. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? These are David's reflections as he is 70 and he is looking back on his entire life and how God has been with him in it. He says this, although my house is not so with God, and we kind of get caught up, maybe, you know, what's, what's wrong with this house? Does it need a little reno? No. He is talking about, figuratively, his house, his dealings, his affairs, his family life, his relationships in general. So if we pull apart this figure of speech and look at that, he's saying, my house, my dealings, my family is not so with God. At the end of the, his life, he is saying, my house is not in order with God. It is not right with God in many ways. This is a guy who's fully aware of his failings, of his sorrows. And you know, this is what death does for us when we look it in the eye. Death reveals reality. Death reveals reality to us. Death reveals what has always been true but maybe we have not seen it or wanted to recognize it. 
I think about this as David is reflecting on his life, of his dreams, probably of imagining what his life looked like when he was that young man, wanting to leave a legacy of faithfulness and integrity. That now, as he looks back on his life, those childhood dreams are unfulfilled because his life is littered with failures and disobedience to God. These failures in this moment are fully revealed to him. You know, he can see them so clearly that maybe in the moment of engaging in them, the waters are a little muddy. But suddenly those waters are clean and he can see crystal clear what his life is about. And those things that maybe he didn't dream of doing, they happened. Those things he probably swore, I would never do that. And then he finds himself doing it. So it's laid out in front of him. And, in, and if we take the time, we can see that ourselves. It's laid out in front of us, and there's no denying it, that often, I think, sometimes when we are younger, and I say younger, it is easy to not see reality, to not see what's in front of us. It's easy to say sometimes, I'm, I'm going to work on that when I'm older. I'll be better of that, at that later. I'll deal with that later. It's not that big a deal. It's a phase. Unlike everyone else, it's okay. I'll get out of this at some point. We don't see it for what it really is. And the thing is, as Christ followers, we are meant to live this life generously generously with the grace and the love that God has given us. That we are meant to be a blessing to others. That everything that God has given us is meant to be shared with others. We are meant to be a blessing to all that we encounter. That reality says that we are to invest our time, our talents, our passion in something that has eternal value. But so often, we don't see that because we are distracted. We are distracted by the illusion that we have time. We are distracted by the illusion that we have time. So what does it look like, though, to really live in reality? To do this, maybe to think about, you know, if you're in your 20s, you may see that I have this unique season of singleness, this flexibility, this ability to invest in the kingdom of God without other restraints. That if you were to do that, you could look back on your life and to see, man, I really poured it all out there. Or are we on our deathbed having regrets? Regrets about what we did and then what we didn't do. Especially with things that God has given us. Death, death will absolutely reveal reality to us. Now, maybe you're going through a season where you don't have flexibility or maybe life is really hard right now. This may be a season Maybe you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and 
you are not where you thought you would be. Right now, you may find yourself in a season of disappointment, of despair. Maybe you're in a season of intense sorrow and sadness. And it's easy when we are in a season like that to think that God has left me. And then to tell ourselves, I will do something for God whenever these things are fixed. When life is better. But reality, reality said God is present in the midst of all of this. Reality says there is not one single season, whether it is a season of joy and ease or a season of suffering, there is not one season, let me make that clear, there is not one season where God does not want to meet you in the middle of it. There is not one season in life where God does not want to meet you in the middle of it to do something in and through you. Reality says that God is mysteriously working all things for your good, even if you can't see it. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. That's reality. I wonder, I wonder if on my deathbed, I'm going to look back and see the seasons of suffering, the seasons of pain in my life, and I'm going to go, I wasted those seasons. I wasted those seasons of suffering to taste and see the goodness of God, to see that God was with me in my pain and my tragedy. I missed it. I don't want to do that. I want to see God in all seasons of my life because he is present in all seasons of my life. When, when I look back on my life and I look and I think that seemed like everything was lost in that moment. It seemed like everything was lost. God was with me. Death will absolutely reveal what is real. Reality will be exposed when we look back. And the thing is, we don't need to be on a hospice bed or in old age to open our eyes today. We don't have to wait till we are 70 or 80 or 90 like David to see what today is. Today is an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity. The invitation to center our lives on Jesus all over again. We gather every week because today is another opportunity to acknowledge that he is worth it. Today can be a day to repent, knowing that to repent is to turn back towards God. Today is the day to go, this is the real me. Today is a day to be reminded that you are loved, you are treasured by God. Every single one of us. There is not a single person in this room. There's not one of you. There's not one of you for whom this is not true. None of us are exempt from this statement that we are loved and treasured by God. 
Today's the day to turn from the stuff that holds you. Today is a gift. Today is a gift. It's the day that you can choose to say yes to the way of Jesus. Even if you've said it before, say it again. You can choose to say yes to Jesus and no to self. That is what today is. Today is a gift. David writes this in the Psalms. He says, Let me know my end, Lord. Seems a little morbid. Let me know my end, Lord. How many days do I have left? I want to know how brief my time is. The thing is, it may sound morbid, but it's not. Because it invites us to consider the value, the precious value that our days have, the value that our life has, to consider the legacy that we could be building right now in this short life. What does it look like? What does it look like to live with death in mind? Or to live with the intent to leave a legacy? Not just last longer than everyone else. Just hold on longer. No, to leave a legacy that has eternal value. And the thing is, there are three things that we can do in this. First, live with the knowledge that life is short. Life is short. Live like it is. I have value and purpose. My life has meaning. And that purpose is to love God and love others. Every single day, I have the opportunity to live that. Life is short. I want to live my life to love God and love others, to humble myself, to know him, to chase after him and care for others. It's the first step. Live life like it's short, because it is. Second, ask yourself this question. What kind of person do I want to be in 20 years? What kind of person do I want to be in 30 years? Maybe for you it's 10. What kind of person do I want to be? What do I want my future self to look like? What kind of person do you want to be when you're 50, 70, 90? Do you want to be the same person when you're 50, 70, 90? With all the same struggles, issues? Or do you want to be someone different? Do you want to be someone who has grown? someone who has grown in love for others, who has grown in love for God, who has lived a life that they're proud of. So the question is, what kind of person, what kind of woman, what kind of man, what kind of friend, what kind of leader do you want to be in the future? When you have the answer to that question, you have a goal for your life more specific purpose of how you will love God and love others. Who do you want to become 20, 30, whatever years? And then finally, relentlessly chase Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being a perfect Christian. We know what those people look like, right? Their pictures are perfect on Instagram. Everything is curated, lovely. It's a picture. 
dimensional. We live in three dimensions, y'all. Doing all the right things? Nope. This relentless pursuit is, I'm a wreck, but I'm going to chase after Jesus. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I still crave those things. I still make stupid mistakes. I still do this, but I want to chase after Jesus. Will you help me? This, this is what greatness really does look like. Like she failed greatly, but she kept on. She kept on chasing Jesus. It's the greatest legacy we can ever have to relentlessly chase after Jesus, to keep getting back up again and again. Again, I rise. And David finishes his thoughts with these final words. That although my house be not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. God's covenant, his everlasting covenant to David, triumphs all of David's failures. Covenant triumphs, trumps failures. See, the main character of David's story isn't David. It's a faithful God. The main theme of David's story isn't failure. It's faithfulness from a loving God. Faithfulness trumps failure. David said, God has made a covenant with me. And what he's talking about is a promise that leads to Jesus. That we talked about a few weeks ago. God says, here's my promise. Here's my promise to you. Wherever you go, Whatever you do, I'm going to be there right with you. An everlasting covenant that is dependent on me, not you, David. David, you're going to turn away from me, but I'm not going to turn away from you. David, you're going to fail, but I'm going to be faithful. David is on his deathbed, and he remembers that God promised that he spoke to him so long ago. When God said, David, you're going to fail, but I will never fail you. See, so many of us are convinced, we are convinced that our failures, that our failures are standing in our way of experiencing God's faithfulness, of experiencing God's very friendship to us. So many of us are defeated in thinking that somehow if I could just get closer to God, I can get back to where I was or maybe where I want to be. But all these failures, these are what are holding me back. These are keeping me from God. There's no way that I could ever, ever experience a life-giving, loving God with my failures as they are now. So I better get myself cleaned up. Uh-uh. No, that is completely wrong thinking. Because we have to see, sometimes, the goodness of God in the midst of our failures. See, God's promise to us is in the midst of life, in the midst of failures, we have him. 
that God is still faithful to me. We see sometimes God's covenant faithfulness, his commitment to us more profoundly in our failures than we ever could in our successes. We see it that the things that we think, those things that we have chalked up that God could never love me because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C. We think God could never love me because of this. We think he's turned away from me because of these things when in fact that is exactly where he wants to meet you. He shows his willingness again and again to come closer in those failures to us. Because like David, we have a covenant with God that is written on our hearts and written on God's heart. This is where this covenant lives, is in God's heart, according to Hebrews. And this covenant overrules all our failures, every single one. And that may seem, that may seem too good to be true, but his goodness God's goodness is like that. It feels too good because it is. It is too good because he is good to us. So as David is on his deathbed, he says this, that God's grace is enough. Although my house is not right with God, he has made a covenant with me, an everlasting covenant that is dependent on God, not me. David recognizes that this covenant is built on grace. And that grace is his salvation. And it's not just the thing that saves him. It's the thing that gives him all that he desires. All of this for him, all of this comes to David from knowing this incredible grace of God. David is a man who has experienced everything. Everything the world could offer. He's got fame. He's got success. We're talking about him thousands of years later. He's got wealth. He's got palaces. He's got a legacy of being a winner. He's got all this stuff in his life. All of it. And yet at the end, he says, nothing is better than realizing that God has been faithful to me. Because that faithfulness is what matters. What is most real? What is most real? At the end, David sees this. He owns his failures and his sorrows. He knows he has fallen short. And he has placed his hope God's grace and God's faithfulness to him. And we are invited to do the same every day. So today, I invite you to consider these three things. Know that life is short. Live like it is. Ask yourself the question, what kind of person do I want to be in 20, 30 years? Who is the person I want to be in the future? 
see God in that. Relentlessly chase Jesus. When all else fails, relentlessly chase Jesus. When all else fails, we fail. When we are sitting in the dark, in the pain, in the suffering, relentlessly chase Jesus. Because he has first relentlessly chased us. That is, as you engage in this, as you choose to live, to leave a legacy, know that as you do so, God is with you. That he is with you in the successes and the failures. He, he is faithful. Amen. Allow me to pray for us as we begin to turn our attention towards communion. A chance that we have to reflect on the goodness of God. On his faithfulness. So allow me to pray for us. And join me. God, as the psalmist says, let me know my end, Lord. How many days do I have left? I want to know how brief my time is. Because I want to live my life relentlessly chasing you. God, you've been our home forever, long before mountains were born. Long before you brought earth itself to birth. You are God. Teach us. Teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely. Teach us to live graciously, compassionately, lovingly every day. And remind us when we fail to do that, that you are still faithful to us. Inviting us into that next opportunity again each day to live for you. God, I ask this in the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.